Hey everyone, great to be with you today. It's St Matthias Day. And so St Matthias's all around the world are having a little party today. Um, and as Helena said, today we are continuing um, this Kingdom Culture series in which we're spotlighting what one person has described as the jewel in the crown of Jesus's teaching. And um, if you missed either of the first two talks, um, they're on our website or anywhere that you listen to podcasts. And um, if you've not watched the series The Chosen, I highly, highly recommend it. Um, it depicts the life of Jesus. And we're going to watch the moment in which Jesus shares uh, this beautiful teaching, this teaching called the Beatitudes, um, for the first time with one of the disciples called Matthew. And he's kind of rehearsing it and running through it before he then goes to uh, speak it out publicly on the hilltop above Lake Galilee. And Matthew is an interesting character. He's a Jewish man, but as a tax collector, um, he has... Um, he's kind of gone into bed with the Romans. He's making good money off the Roman taxation system. And at this time, we know that there were kind of peasant uprisings because people were in debt, people were... Uh, absolutely on the breadline. So we know that Matthew would have been really uh, hated by his fellow Jews. And yet he, um, he observed Jesus over a long period of time. And then he got to the point of being so intrigued and attracted by Christ that he decided to down tools as a tax collector and to follow uh, Jesus. And his skills as a scribe uh, honed as a tax collector, highly educated, would be now put to a very different uh, use. Uh, for this is Matthew of Matthew's gospel, the gospel that we read and, and learn about the life of Jesus 2,000 years later. So today we're focusing on the third beatitude, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And I don't know what you think of when you hear the term meek. I suspect that many of us slightly recoil from the term. And if we hear somebody described as meek, it's a bit of a put-off. And on the other hand, it does feel like there's this big reaction against... In, in our culture, against those who just come across as really arrogant, as um, entitled, as really sure of themselves. I suppose it's true that the last three years have kind of humbled us and we're a little less sure of ourselves than three years ago. We've lived through this global pandemic in which so many of our freedoms were stripped away from us. But on top of that, we're facing this unprecedented um, global warming. There's war in Europe for the first time in 80 years. Um, our politics feels broken. We struggle to know where to look for, uh, for good leadership. Our economy feels incredibly fragile at this point in time. We're facing this cost of living crisis. And so many industries are striking. 
Food banks are in higher demand than ever before. And in church life, there's just been too many examples of church leaders who have been caught up in scandal. And we're facing culture wars, refugee crisis, people trafficking crisis. And so in these times, those who have a kind of smooth arrogance to claim to have all the answers, they just strike exactly the wrong chords. And this is true also for us, I I believe, as people of faith. As we seek to understand ourselves, uh, humility and meekness, this willingness to admit that we don't have all the answers, um, we've got so much to learn, these become far more important qualities. I like what Dante Stewart said, the greatest threat to Christianity is not secularity, it's certainty. When you're so convinced that you're right, then you'll create all, all types of enemies and cut yourself off from all the ways God is active in another person's experience. So that seems to kind of ring true, but on the other hand, there does seem to be a problem with Jesus's words, blessed are the meek. Particularly if we bear in mind that blessed when Jesus spoke it, wasn't a kind of religious, churchy word. It, it was more like saying, good on you. You're, you're in a really great position. But it's surely not desirable to be meek if what we mean by meek are those who don't react when they're oppressed. Those who are weak-willed accepting whatever comes at them, vulnerable to being manipulated. Surely it's important for our well-being to develop a kind of psychological strength. Or if by meek we mean that kind of stereotypical beige Christian who would never say boo to a goose. Well, that is not someone to be desired at all. So how are we to understand Jesus's words? That the ones who are meek are in an excellent position. They're right at the front of the queue for God to do an amazing work through them. What's he talking about? Well, our problem is that we too quickly interpret meekness as weakness. The manipulated, the gullible, the vulnerable, the easily led. But when Jesus looked out at the crowd and said, blessed are the meek, he had in mind a very different type of person. For this term, meekness resonated throughout the history of the Jewish people. In fact, Jesus was directly quoting uh, some poetry from Psalm 37, which says, the meek will inherit the land. And the context of the psalm reveals that the meek are those who trust in the Lord, those who wait patiently for him to act, those who just hold their nerve when it looks like the powerful and the oppressive have the upper hand, those who Don't ever give up hope. Moses was described as 
very meek above all people on the face of the earth. And what set Moses apart from everybody else? Well, it was when God called on him to do something unimaginably difficult. And Moses said yes. Yeah, it's true. The first thing he did was to list to God all the reasons why he wasn't qualified for this task. But ultimately, he obeyed. And we know that through his obedience, Moses ended up freeing thousands and thousands of people from slavery. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is that posture before God of putting your life in God's hands, of saying, well, you can have it, all of it. You lead me which way to go, what to do. You can interrupt my plans. Your will be done. And maybe meekness is making a comeback. For blessed are the undefensive. Blessed are the unentitled. Blessed are the ones who don't take themselves too seriously, who can laugh at themselves. Blessed are the ones who've learned not to believe in their own hype. Who comes to mind when you think of meek? Uh, for me, it's one of my absolute spiritual heroes called Jean. Many of you know Jean. She often comes here um, at uh, the 11 o'clock service. She's an octarian. And um, to look at her, you would think there's nothing out of the ordinary. But when you start to hear about Jean's extraordinary life, it's incredibly remarkable. Well, Jean, um, if anyone has read the book Chasing the Dragon by Jackie Pullinger, um, it recounts uh, the story of when uh, Jackie, who at the age of uh, 17, I believe, or 18, um, felt God call her to Hong Kong, to a part of Hong Kong called the Walled City. And at that point in time, the Walled City um, was a, a, an area of abject poverty ruled by um, triads, gang groups, um, awash with drugs, um, and... Um, yeah, absolute poverty. And, and then just a few years later, um, you were 27, 28, with three young sons, one of whom is here today, um, and um, uh, your husband, Anthony. And Anthony got a job in Hong Kong. And so you up sticks as a whole family and moved to Hong Kong and then you came across Jackie and you struck up what has become an absolute lifelong friendship and so so much of what was happening in Chasing the Dragon was in this period in which you were there and Jean we'd just love to ask you about this period about what you experienced God do in this time, um, about um, yeah, any particular people that have stuck in your mind who God uh, did amazing things through? 
Well, I'd like to cut a long story short and take you to an area which was the Walled City. Um, the Walled City was an enclave of about six acres, I believe. And within that, although the British had Hong Kong and they then started to have the new territories, it actually was um, unlawful completely because this little area was from governed officially from China. But actually a lot of people were coming over from China at that time because they wanted to get away from communism. So this little area, which was very nice at one time, when the Second World War came, the walls were taken down by the Japanese to make an airport, and just by the side of it, and then this area became layer by layer by layer of layer of buildings. At my generation, we used to have packs of cards and make them into houses and fun places. This certainly was not places, uh, fun places. This was everything that shouldn't go on, did go on. Um, Jackie was very much attracted by God through this, to this area. And we got involved very much with, though we had lots of triads, but we got to know them. And we used to go into the walled city um, to a place, a room she had, which was the well. I'd like to tell you two incidences. Um, one incident was the well was completely trashed. Excrement on the walls, the glass was broken, the little building. I mean, it was not a big room, it was tiny. And Jackie thought, right, I'm going back to Kensington, none of this. But she felt God saying, no, keep on. And she and I learned at that stage to praise God in all things, not for all things. And at this time, there was a head of one of the 14K triads, and his name was Gokul. And he was horrified, actually, at what had happened. So he put a person, one of his lads, each time to watch and make sure Jackie was all right. Jackie refused the protection because she said she had God. But to cut a long story short, every one of these boys became Christians. And a lot of them were on drugs, heroin and, and um, cannabis and cocaine at that time. Not all this mixed stuff now. And through speaking in tongues, which is a gift from God, Holy Spirit, these boys were healed of addiction. Now I'm going to jump to one of the boys we became very fond of, and Simon, were, he was tiny, but he used to play football with him. His name was Joey. Joey went into the walled city. His parents in China had bought him with an uncle, thinking we'll get away from communism. They'll have a better life in Hong Kong. So Joey arrived in the walled city. From there, he was only four years old. He learned to fight. He saw, her he saw you name it. And he actually became very involved in the fighting and the 
um, guarding the prostitutes who were children, and he would give tickets out and all this business. Jerry was not going to have anything to do with Jackie and God, but he was one of these boys told by Goko to go there. And what happened is he actually um, did something really bad, another thing, he was in prison a lot. And when he was in prison, he decided he would come off heroin. I'm going to do it without Jesus. And he told me he banged his head so hard against the wall to counteract the pain. That was that. But eventually he became with Jackie. He came off drugs. And there's like a program where they join the family, they um, learn hygiene and food and how to shop and how to be independent. And then he became a construction engineer. I think we've, um, I think there's a photo actually, the first photo here. Um, just coming up. This is um, so you're there in the middle with your three boys there in the middle. It's a little bit blurry. Jackie there is on the right hand side, and you said this was when uh, there was baptism, but, but, full immersion baptism in the sea, and and then the next photo I think is of Joey. Let's just see. There he is. Amazing. Um, okay, so. I mean, firstly, taking three young boys and then getting involved in this um, walled city and, and all that was going on um, in response to God's prompting. Extraordinary. But I want to then fast forward um, um, until you were in your late 50s. Now you're back in the UK. And uh, sadly, your husband, Anthony, cancer is a dark difficult period six years of caring for him I should have said just prior to that you had um, well a few years prior to that had um, welcomed two other young men into your family so there's now five uh, young growing young men you're caring for caring for Anthony through his sickness and then he dies and then God called you to do something, again, totally unexpected. T tell us about that. Um, whilst Anthony was ill, I didn't manage it well. And I broke mentally three times. So I, when you give your life to God, it's not just a rosy road. It's a sort of a windy road. You learn all the way along. And that was a very dark time. Once he, when he had left and, and left, got passed on, I had a leaflet from the hospice saying, you're going to go through anger, da-da-da-da-dum. Well, I thought I'd been through all that. The last section was, what are you going to do? And I had been advised and kept, got very fit to deal with the stress. And I had already started um, trekking in Nepal and getting to know Doug Scott, the climber, and he had a charity which suited me and my way of life because it was not commercial. He looked after the, the people working for him. And what he was doing was going to villages way off the beaten track to thank them for help with his climbing abilities and when he went climbing. So 
um, I thought, okay, I know they need English teachers. And I remember sitting in that sitting room looking at this, and I thought, okay, if you want me to do this, Lord, you have to make it happen. So I picked the phone up and rang Farnborough College of Technology. And who should open answer the phone? Not a receptionist, but the head of English. So out I came. I said, I'm dyslexic. I have no qualifications. I'd like to go to Nepal and teach English as a foreign language. He said, okay. I've got a TEFL course running. One's already running, but there's one place left. If you can keep up, you've got the place. So I took off. I loved it. English suddenly became understandable. I did a lot of extra teaching with the students. And I loved it. And it helped me a lot. When I qualified, I phoned, well, I contacted Doug. And he said, right, great. Can you come out next month? So off I went. And I had an amazing adventure. Um, that, that would last all evening if I told you. So basically, I got into a, a village way, way, way up. And I was the first European to live amongst these people. It was in a mud hut with... Um, oh my, my little room was teeny. It had just a trunk, which was sort of chopped straight, and a gap at the top. No glass, of course. And bamboo poles around, which you hung one bag of my teaching material and one bag of my, my necessities. But when I went to bed in my sleeping bag, rats would come into the window and they'd go along the bamboo because the storeroom was the far side. You got used to it, funny enough. It's amazing. Even um, leeches and things, somehow you get used to it. I could not have done this without God. No way. I started off with 64 children, and it was a six-week course, and it was during their Dashan festival when the teachers had gone to the, back to their villages, and I ended up with 93 children. Now, that's not me. That is God working. So if you give your life to God, expect a very big adventure. And again, I think there's a couple of photos uh, that there, there, there you are with the uh, wonderful Nepalese children. And that was the house you lived in. And I want to bring things right up to the present day because we've been talking about um, meekness being this posture of openness before God, of, of saying, Lord God... Um, what do you want me to do? And one of the things you said recently to me that really inspired me was you said, well, every morning I wake up and I just say to God, what do you want me to do today? And he always gives me some things to do. And I know that one day I'll wake up and he'll say, your work is done now. And we know that nearly two years ago, you were diagnosed with cancer, um, given just two or three months to live. Um, you brought your son back from Australia and his family and we prepared your funeral. We didn't think we'd see that Christmas 2021. And uh, now here we are, nearly eight, more than 18 months later. Um, how, how in this period of your life 
are you is God using you and you're still able to live by that faith okay um when I was diagnosed um I just made the decision not to have any any treatment so I have only had palliative care and Martlett's hospice is absolutely amazing how I'm at, I'm a member of the Iona community and that is a community that fights for peace and justice looks after and passionate about the environment and anything like that I'm there and yes I have been able to do a lot during this time but it's, I look for bridges in life and the bridge of the beginning of our service with Katie in the evening that's exact I don't I didn't know about this. But in the mornings, yes, I say, okay, Lord, I'm here. What can I do? And at night, I look back, and I hadn't, this is a very different, special way, but I look back to see. But I've made the most wonderful friends. The Iona community, obviously, I can't get to them or anything like that now, but Zoom is absolutely wonderful. I'm still learning a great deal. I just praise God. And do you know, community is very important. The Matthias community, any community, because when God gives us gifts, it's not just for you, because there are all sorts of gifts, and if you put them together, they work. Amazing. Can we give it up for Jean? Thank you so much for sharing. When Jesus looked out at the crowds, when he shared uh, the Beatitudes, uh, people were there for all sorts of different reasons. Some were there to chase a miracle. Some were there because they were longing to be healed. Some were just intrigued by what all the fuss was about around Jesus. Others were deeply skeptical, kind of there to catch him out. Um, but as Jesus scanned the crowd, he he could see that there were some that were genuinely open to God. Those who were genuinely able to say, look, God, um, here's my life and you can use me however you want. And these were the meek. And as Jesus looked at them, he knew that these were the people that God would use in all sorts of unexpected, powerful, wonderful ways. That against all the odds, it would be them, ultimately. And not the powerful, not the well-connected, not those climbing the ladder of success. But these people, those who came with open hands, praying that prayer of Jean's, Lord, how do you want, me to, use, how do you want to use me today? It would be these that would inherit the earth. And in a few moments, we've got an opportunity to, to bring ourselves again before God, to, to say, uh, Lord, you know all the reasons why I feel completely underqualified um, to be used by you. But ultimately, I, I want to give you what I do have. I want to open myself to you. And not just today, but every day. I want to pray your kingdom come, your will be done. 
in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.